Uh, so today we're wrapping up our My House Volume 2 series, and it's been a good journey. I feel like it's been super beneficial for us as a church. We've talked about marriage. We've talked about conflict resolution. We've talked about hospitality in our homes. Uh, we've talked about relational needs. Uh, and today specifically, we're talking about this parent-child relationship and, uh, and, and, and talking about uh, essentially the bit, bulk of it will be parenting, but uh, a lot of parent-child relationship. Now, uh, obviously, when we've talked about things like conflict resolution and hospitality, that is more inclusive to everyone. But, uh, you know, you may be in here and you, you know, you're uh, single or you're, uh, you know, you don't, you're empty nester or whatever. I, I want to encourage you to lean in to see how God still wants to use a lot of these principles in your life today, because uh, I think what you're going to find is behind this parent-child relationship is more a uh, how we as believers as a whole are to be pressing into Jesus. And, uh, and so I think you'll see that. So just, just be encouraged and hang tight and, and really, uh, you know, I think any relationship type in here, um, you know, can, can press in in that kind of manner. And I think, you know, when we're talking about parent-child relationships, all of us uh, are children. <laughs> we have parents, and even if they're gone, we're, we're, we're children of God if you're a believer. And so we have some capacity of truth and, and movement in our lives in the practical to kind of hang on to and, and run with. Now, I will say as a precursor, I preached today's message from a posture of weakness. Um, I do not have parenting figured out. I, I know that's hard for you to believe. Uh, I, I do not have, you know, being a husband all figured out. I, I, I'm not even a great son to my parents now. Like, there's a lot of ways that I'm preaching to myself in this. And, and so I want you to hear that, that I'm on the journey uh, with you. Like, it, you know, I, like every other parent, uh, lose it with my children. Uh, I, like every other parent, you know, get angry and sin um, at them. Um, I also choose laziness and comfort often over, uh, you know, the things uh, pressing in the Lord and disciplining our children or, uh, or uh, you know, stepping into my responsibility as a parent. So uh, all of that, all of that, if there's anything good in my home, it's because of the goodness and the grace of Jesus. And that's it. Uh, and so I, like you, am on this kind of walk, this journey in, uh, in figuring all this out. And I, like you, need Christ. I need the gospel. I need God's word uh, in my life, in my parenting. I depend upon Jesus. Uh, and that's what I'm going to implore all of us to continue to press in and depend more upon Jesus. Because I think the goal of today is less about what you should do and more about what you should think and believe. It's more about who you are than, than what you are specifically doing. Now, what you are would change what you do, but but the message is more geared at who are you as a parent? What is your design? What is your purpose in parenting? Uh, you know, where do we get that power from? These are the kind of things that we're going to, to, to wrestle with. And, and given that this message is really about discipleship, it's ultimately not about doing stuff. It's more about being that'll lead to the doing. Now, I will give you some practical because I always want to put meat on the bone for you to kind of walk out of here with some tangibles. Uh, but ultimately, I want you to understand that, uh, man, this is, a, this is a discipleship issue. It's a who are you kind of 
kind of message, right? So let's dive in. We're going to start in Ephesians 6, and kind of weirdly enough today, I'm going to move backwards in the passage. I'm going to start in 6, and we're going to move back into 5 uh, throughout the message, all right? So let's start Ephesians 6, uh, 1 through 4. It says, children, obey your parents. Amen. All God's people said amen up in here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's a lot of gold here. Uh, I want to I first point out just to the children you see there's a promise given to you in obeying your parents that it will go well with you and that you will live long, that you will have blessing in life. These aren't just empty promises. These are the promises of Scripture given unto you. Um, and I think that's important for you to understand and important for us who are uh, over 18 and still trying to figure out how to honor our parents uh, need to understand. Uh, as a, as a kind of before I dive in, you need to understand as well, the, the book of Ephesians is really, really a letter, right? It's a letter. It's one continuous thought written to the church, church in Ephesus. Uh, the chapter numbers, the divisions, the chapter numbers and the, and the verse numbers were, putting in, were put in later for organization and to easy find things and then so that we could do Bible drill, Right? That's why these things were put in there. Uh, they were not written that way. So uh, it almost does it a bit of an injustice that, uh, that six is separated from five because I think it's all one kind of thought. And Paul is writing to the, to the family, what the family is supposed to look like, how the family can exalt Jesus. He, he gives these roles in the family, the wife, the husband, the child, the parent. Uh, obviously, he, he, he's expressing the reality that the ideal uh, design of God is the nuclear family, husband, wife, raising children. Obviously, there's many of you in here that don't uh, have that going on for you. Like you may be a single parent in here or, uh, you know, you, you may have all kinds of different situations. You may be single. You may, you, there may be all kinds of things going on in your particular scenario, right? So, so I want to encourage you as well, though, that this ideal design is not your current reality. You're not excluded from what Paul is saying here. Um, you know, and, 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 uh, we're, he, he's speaking to us on, again, this parent child relationship, these relational boundaries and how we can, we can honor the Lord in it. And even if your, uh, situation is, um, different from the nuclear family, uh, ideal, uh, you still have some responsibility here, right? There's still, you're not off the hook just because you're a single parent raising a, ch a child. I would encourage you, that's where the church needs to come in and help you. Uh, but at the same time, we still have these commands uh, given to us, right? Um, so let's talk first. I want to I talk first about the design of children and parents. Like, uh, you know, what is the design for this parent-child relationship? How has God designed it? First, let's deal with the child. Um, you know, I think in context, I think it's important for us to understand that uh, the Jews in this day really valued children, but the Roman Empire did not. 
right? So here are Christians and really the Jews that are in, in kind of a culture where they're in this bubble of they honor the family. They've been given instructions on how to love one another and obey one another and submit to one another. And they're in the midst of a culture that hated children. They hated children. Uh, you know, John Stott says, um, in, um, uh, about the culture there, he says, he describes it as, uh, as cruel towards kids. Unwanted babies were abandoned. Weak babies were killed. Healthy kids were a nuisance. So Paul speaking on the value of children into a culture that did not value children is very, um, it's, it's countercultural. Um, and I think very familiar to us. Obviously, I think we live in a culture that hates children. I think you see that in recent days with proposed and past bills. I think you see how much we will discard children, both born and unborn, for the sake of our comfort, for the sake of our image, for the sake of our finances. Um, Church, we live in a culture that hates children. And, um, yeah, we, 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 these words, Paul to believers are strong words to us because as believers, we ought to have a very high view of children as image bearers of God, both born and unborn. Uh, they bear the image of our creator and we should fight for them. We should fight for those who cannot fight for themselves And uh, now what fighting looks like, I think, is not um, how oftentimes we choose to fight, which is do nothing but just rant on social mediums. I think we fight by pouring out love and compassion to mothers that are feeling as though abortion is their only option. I think we educate. We continue to... Um, preach the gospel because it's in the gospel that people understand that they are born in the image of God. The children are made in the image of God. I think we also, as we value the life of of, of children, we stand up against abortion, but we also stand up against abuse. We also stand up against trafficking. We also stand up against neglect. We, We fight for those who can't fight for themselves. And this is not a political rant. This is a biblical rant. This is people, all people from conception on are made in the image of God, and we fight for them. We fight for them because that's what God has called us to do. So we should stand for things like adoption and foster care. We, we should be proponents in those ministries that, that, are, that are continuing to help rescue babies, that are continuing to clothe, uh, that foster children. Like we, we press into those things. We pray for those folks and those people, right? Um, and, and, and so we had to fight for those things. And why? I think because... History repeats itself. Throughout history, cultures live and die based on what they, based on the nuclear family health in their culture. As cultures, family units disintegrated, so did their cultures. You look, look at Rome. 
Look at Rome. How did Rome fall? Well, it continued to hate children. It continued to hate the nuclear family unit. It continued to pursue homosexuality and things that were not natural and God-honoring. It continued to kill babies that were weak and not like them. And so they fell. As will we. This is why it's important for the church to continue to rally around. We're going to have healthy families, families with banners over our home that say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to press in to protecting those that can't protect themselves. We're going to continue to fight the social justices that are in our community. Why? Because these people are made in the image of God. They're made in God's image. So we fight for what God fights for. We're passionate and love the things that God loves. We hate the things that God hates, namely murder, sin. We, we run from those things. So we, as I said, when we were talking about racism with, uh, on MLK Day, Sunday, the church that is silent and does nothing is, is a contributor to sin. We can't stand by and do nothing. We have to take up arms and fight the battle that is at, on, on our doorpost, on our doorstep. It's here. So we, with grace, with mercy, with great compassion, with slow words, not anger, we fight the battle God has given us to fight. Now, that was a... Let's go back to the role of the child. I think there's, uh, in the scripture, there's an expectation for the child to obey and to honor their parent as long as what they've been called to obey and honor doesn't conflict with what God has called us to obey and honor, right? And so there are some scenarios which children are asked to do things that are sin. And in that realm, a child would be permissible in rebellion against their parents. But by and large, as long as that thing does not disobey the word of God, parents, I mean, children should obey and honor their, their, their parents. Now, in our culture, a child is under 18. I mean, someone under 18. So if you're under 18, you have been called by God to obey and honor your parents. To honor and obey your parents is to honor and obey God. To dishonor and disobey your parents is to dishonor and disobey God. Uh, so this obedience and honor are, are connected. Now, you should obey and love your parents because of, you know, they are out of gratitude. God has given you these parents. They, they, you have a love for the parents that God has uh, given you, right, for who they are, for what, they, what they've done, and, uh, and, and you're to honor them. Now, this word honor appears six times in the New Testament, very important in the, in, in the New Testament. And uh, really, to honor parents is to consider them as respectable, primarily because of the role they hold to us as parents, the parents that God has given us. So we honor them. We show them re respect, right? And uh, for, for, uh, you know, for children under 18, for you to obey your parents is for you to obey God. Now, I think there's also a thing in here, too, for those of us um, uh, who, who are older. Maybe you're in here. You have, you're at a stage. Now I'm 36 years old. I don't have to obey my parents. My parents tell me to do something. I don't have to obey them, right? I do have to honor them. 
Uh, and, and if they ask me to do something and I think it honors the Lord and I can do it, I, I would do it. But I think there's also something to be said here that as we don't love, our culture doesn't love children, we also don't love old people. And we are very quick to shove the elderly in homes and to, they're no longer, we, we kind of stamp them as, well, they're no longer useful for us. Let's put them here. Let's find a place for them. Well, we as believers uh, aren't like the world. Maybe God is calling you to take care of your aging parent. Maybe he's calling you to do that. Now, how much would the world look on the church that says, nah, we're going to take care of our elderly. We're going to house them. We're going to take care of them. We're going to do all we can. They're not going to be an inconvenience to us. We're going to honor them. We're going to honor them until they die. I think, I think maybe some of us need to process what it looks like to be a, 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 a God-honoring parent-honoring individual with aging parents. And you need to pray through discernment on what that means for you, what that means for your family, what it means you can't have so that you can do this. I think it's, I think it's important and a good question for you to ask. All right, now to the parent. Let's talk about this in this parent-child relationship. In this particular passage, Paul is speaking to the father. The father should be the spiritual leader at home. However, this isn't to the exclusion of mothers. You know, obviously, mom and dad are both disciples of their children. But the parent role here that Paul is saying, he's saying that is one to bring up or nourish a child in instruction and discipline. Not one or the other, instruction and discipline, both at, at, at the same time and both always. So let's talk about what those are. Discipline is training in godly behavior. Training in godly behavior. Now, I, I want to kind of bring us in on this one because, um, you know, oftentimes our discipline can be the thing in our parenting that we think we've got right that we don't have right. That we think we've got a grasp on that we don't really have a grasp on. Uh, you know, because I, I want us to understand that discipline is for training godly behavior. Does your discipline train for godly behavior? Or does it just train for morality? There's a difference there. You can discipline to keep your kid from embarrassing you, but that's not training for godly behavior. There's a morality that you can get them to walk by until they're out of your home and miss God. And so we want to discipline for the sake of godly behavior, right? right? So, so when we're disciplining our kids, we, we punish our children when they dishonor us or, or, the, or, or our wives, husbands, right? And, and uh, you know, yes, you need to discipline them if they dishonor you or your wife. Uh, I try not to say, you know, I sometimes, you know, I try not to say you will not talk to your mother that way. I try to say you will not talk to my wife that way. Because the reason of being disciplined is they're treating my wife in a way that she doesn't need to be treated. And so they'll get disciplined for that. They should be, they should be disciplined for that. They should be disciplined when they dishonor others or when they dishonor God. Uh, and, and, and so when we do this, we're to step in and bring correction. Our discipline, our punishment should be corrective, not destructive. 
It should be corrected. We're, we're guiding them to a place that we want them to be. We don't want to crush their souls. We want them to grow in the Lord, right? Which means it always ought to be done in love, not anger. It should be an extension of nourishing them, not destroying them. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about the anger piece later, but I, I want to move on from that now. Piper does say this, and I think this is a great quote. It says, the happiest and holiest children in the world, that's what I want, happiest and holiest children in the world are the children whose fathers succeed in winning both their tender affection and their reverential and loving fear. And they are the children who will come to understand most easily the mystery of the fatherhood of God, who both loves us and disciplines us because he loves us. So that's what discipline is. So what is instruction? I think instruction is not uh, when we focus on behavior, but it's when we focus on the heart. Instruction is when we focus on the heart. When, when we teach our kids the gospel, we're instructing them. When we teach them that we are fully loved by God, fully forgiven by God, declared fully righteous because we are in Christ. We're, we're, see, see, the problem with discipline oftentimes when we, when we uh, leave out the gospel is that we raise kids who think that when they do good, uh, dad's happy, therefore God must be happy. And when they do bad, God, dad is mad, so therefore God must be mad. And if they never understand the gospel that says to them, your salvation is not dependent upon your morality, but it's dependent upon God's love on you and his salvation in your life. If they never hear the gospel, they will equate how they've been disciplined in their life based on how they merit with their salvation. This is why I counsel so many families who've been very protective of their children, maybe through homeschool, private Christian school or whatever, and the kid will come to me and they'll have these issues saying, hey, I, I don't think God loves me because I'm not doing good. I'm not going to church enough. I'm not being good enough. And I'll say, you don't know the gospel. You've been in church and Christianity all your life and you've missed it. That's not the gospel. And if we parent with just an iron fist to get our kids to walk a straight line, but never bring with it the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of the cross, they'll equate those two, their salvation with how you've disciplined. So we have to instruct them in the ways of the Lord. We have, to, we have to bring instruction. We have to plant the truths of God in their heart so that over time, those things will continue to stir up their affection for Jesus, which will eventually impact their behavior. You can't be saved and not be changed. But we want, we want, we don't want, your goal shouldn't just be to have children that don't embarrass you. Your, your goal should be to have children that love Jesus, that understand the gospel. And listen, shepherding, like this, it's inconvenient. It takes time. It's much easier to spank your kid and put them to bed. It's much easier to say, hey, walk this way. And they say, why? I say, because I said so. It's much more difficult to shepherd them. Yeah, you might be late for work. You might be late getting into school. But you might have to take a moment to say, hey, let me instruct you. 
Let me tell you what our God thinks of this. Let me help you understand the gospel. You know, if we focus on behavior alone, uh, we will raise rebels against our parents, against parents. You've seen it, man. You've seen those kids that are sheltered and they get out of the home, they live like hell. Because they've been legalistically pressed down and there's been no gospel. But if we, if we avoid shepherding the heart, we will raise rebels against God. Parenting's hard work. <laughs> it's not for the faint of heart. I do want to give you a couple of reminders uh, in your parenting, just as practical. One is no two kids are the same. Um, you know, I, I remember, you know, when I had my firstborn who is as every bit of a um, strong-willed, crazy individual as his mother is. <laughs> Y'all don't believe that. Um, and I would see other folks our age with these, you know, quiet little girls that sit real tight. I'm like, my kid's over here jumping like a spider monkey through the church, and yours is just sitting there, like, memorizing scripture. Um, no two kids are the same. You know, my, my son, you could spank him all day, and he'll like, is that all you got? You know, whereas both my daughters, if I just barely raise my voice to them, it's waterworks. And it, it literally, it was in the last six months, I just looked at Jen. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I, I don't know how to parent these girls. <laughs> like, I just raised my voice. And, you know, because Jen's like, you need to hug them. I'm like, hug them. Huh? And when uh, God gave us Abby, we said that, uh, you know, I needed more softening. Obviously, I didn't have enough, so he gave me another girl. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, no two kids are the same, so you got to know your kid. And I'll talk about that more in a bit. But secondly, I want to encourage you. You're not fighting your kids for their heart. You're fighting Satan. It's not you versus your kids. There's a spiritual battle happening. Which means, are you praying for your children? Are you crying out to God that they would be saved, that they would be moved by his Holy Spirit? It's a spiritual battle you're in. It's not just you versus them, getting them to walk some line. It's, it's a spiritual battle. And uh, you've you got to see the battle for what it really is. And then thirdly, um, you know, there's far too many scenarios for me to cover. I mean, I know um, I, if we were to line everybody up and counsel each particular situation, it would, it would be a, a wide spectrum of things. That, but I will say that as a church, we, uh, and this is a little plug and commercial for what we're doing out here, we've done a parent resource center out here that has a wide range of things. It has stuff for smaller children, stuff for older children. There's a book about strong-willed children. There's, there's a book about, um, uh, you know, technology with children. Uh, there's you know, the Jesus Storybook Bible. There's all these different resources that we have out there to begin to equip you to a parent whatever situation you're in. And if we've got something out there, if we don't have something out there that is your thing, let us know your situation. 
situation, and we'll try to help as best we can. Uh, so you can, you, matter of fact, there'll be an iPad out there. If you want to buy those today, get them shipped to your home, I think you can do that today. Secondly, we've got some resources that if you signed up for, they'll get emailed to you. So some, some discipleship things, what's called D6, is just uh, discipleship kind of cur- curriculum material that you can sign up for at that parent resource thing today, and it'll get emailed to you. That parent resource is going to be a staple here uh, that we will have continuously as you you know as we continue to try to help families parent and grow. We're going to have that. Now we will move it. It'll, it'll eventually move uh, to the uh, Discover Life Point area, uh, but we're going to continue to equip you in, in those things, right? So we want to continue to to help you in that. So th- that's the design. Now let's talk about the purpose. Why did God create this parent child? relationship. You know, I, I'm sure some of you think that the, the purpose of this parent-child relationship is to raise good kids, get a tax credit, uh, you know, to, to continue your, your name on in another generation. Maybe some of you, at least you act like this, you're trying to raise up, you know, the next LeBron James so that they can pay off your retirement or, you know, or some of you just want extra hands around the, around the house so you just have more children. And, um, you know, I think the purpose for this parent-child relationship is different. And I don't want to read to you. This is, this is Ephesians 5.32. Now, again, like I said, chapters, verses, and backing up. And really the context of what Paul is talking about in this specific verse is parenting, but I think because it's all together, it's, it's really the pinnacle of the passage. Like this is the pinnacle of the passage. It's Paul is trying to uh, help us to understand uh, what is going on uh, with the whole family dynamic. 532 says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church, right? So, so this pinnacle passage that Paul is saying, essentially, what is going on with the design of the family unit is that Christ might be seen. That Christ, his relationship to the church, Christ and how he has saved his people, Christ and how he moves among his people might be put on display by the family unit. The reason that you have children, the reason that you have been married is so that you might put Jesus on display. That you might put over your home, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So that the world might look upon our families and see light in a dark place. That's why you've been given children. That's why you have the relationships you have. To be used for God's glory. Imagine this, a gracious father showing kindness to his children, showing patience in his discipline and love in his instruction. Children who submit willfully to their father out of honor and obedience, knowing fully that their greatest delight is their father's wishes for their life. You don't think that's countercultural? You don't think you going to work and talking about what a blessing your children are is countercultural? I think this is a picture of what should be displayed in our homes. We are God's children. He's, he has uh, adopted us into his family. 
He's laid down his life on the cross to purchase us, to redeem us, to to bring us near to himself. We have a very gracious and merciful God. How is that message put on display by your family? How is the gospel message put on display by your family? Now, many of you might be beat down right now. You might be discouraged. You might be feeling like some anxiety or inadequate. I want to encourage you um, um, in a minute. And, and, and here, let's back up a little more in the scripture. I want to back up to Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21 says, Look carefully then how you walk, now as, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And 21 really is kind of the uh, linchpin for everything that comes after it, right? This, this idea of submitting, submitting in marriage, wives to husbands, husbands to Christ, submitting in our parent-child relationship, children to parent, parent to Christ, submitting even in our work environment, that we submit to the authority that God has put over us and we submit to Christ, And so this idea of submitting is what God is calling us to, this mutual, whatever the role God has given us to, he's calling us to submit in that role. Now, the one thing that Paul says makes submission possible is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Think about it. Submission is not normal. It's it's, it's not normal. It's not normal in our culture. It's not. It's normal to fight for me, get me and mine. I'm gonna fight for my rights. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stick it to the man. I'm gonna right. I mean that's what's normal. It's not normal to have a spirit of submission because that is given to the children of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Essentially, the Holy Spirit comes in, and what we can't do, He can. What is impossible for us is possible with God. I love uh, the way it says like this. What is of God requires God. What is of God requires God. Your parenting, does that require require God? (laughs) Yeah. Is it of God? Yes. So we need him. Is submitting to the authority uh, of God, submitting authority in your workplace, is that of God? Yes, it's of God. Therefore, it requires God. Is submitting um, unto your husband or unto Christ, is that of God? Yes, it's of God. Therefore, it requires God. Uh, essentially, what Paul is trying to help us to understand here is a lot of times we try to do parenting and we try to do relationships in our own power, right? We try to white knuckle our kids into place, Right? I'm going to get control of you. I'm going to get control of this family. It's going to go my way. I'm going to fight for it when that's not the biblical way to parent. 
the biblical way to parent is to crawl on the cross and die. And then give Jesus full reign of living his, uh, through our lives. And we, we every day die to ourselves, our ambitions, what we want for our children. We crawl up there and we die. And the spirit, God, through us, comes and lives out a life uh, uh, that he wants for our kids, that he wants for our lives. That, so that he can put his family, on dis, putting Christ on display. So you, you're trying to control everything and organize everything and get everything so, so that, you know, you're kind of this, whatever, appear to have it all together. And God says, no, 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 come and die so that I might live through you. You can't do this in your own power. This is why I constantly preach, like, in order to lead your family spiritually, you got to go to Jesus. You have to be in the word of God. You, you have to die to yourself. You have to take on Christ. It's the same thing in parenting. You have to go to Jesus. You have to get close to him. you got to get close to the word. you got to die to yourself. you got to put on Christ. What is of God requires God. We've got to press into him. Now, I want to give you some practical, because I don't want to leave you there, because obviously if it's all in this kind of space, uh, I'm afraid that you'll just walk out of here and go eat lunch and forget it all. Uh, but I want to give you a couple of like meat on the bone, practical things here for you. One, and I mentioned, I started to mention this earlier, how do you discipline? How do you discipline? Again, I want to reiter reiterate do what works for that child. Um, I say it like this. Uh, know your kids, not yourself. Most of us discipline out of our own natures. So if we're hot-headed, we parent harsher. Well, that doesn't do anything for your child. Like you need to know your child and what works for them. If you're like me and you are, uh, can be quick-tempered, quick uh, you might need a process that will put some gap between uh, the moment and the discipline so that reaction doesn't take over and you discipline out of anger. I remember when I was in Thailand, we, we were, um, um, you know, we, Josiah was three years old. Abby was probably less than six months. And in our apartment, huge 800-square-foot apartment, uh, there was in the living room, and, you know, because it's 800 square foot, we're always around each other, which was awesome. And, uh, you know, there was this uh, glass uh, globe around the light, right? This, it had this uh, glass globe around it. And then below that glass globe was a table that had a glass top as well. And Josiah, three years old, all boy, comes in with some ball and just boom. And that, and that ball hits that globe, and it, it, it rattles the globe loose from the, from the light, and it just drops whoom, right on top of the glass table and just poof, glass everywhere. Now, by God's providence, usually we always had Abby in her little bouncy seat really close to that table, but... God, what, I mean, we didn't use to do this. She was sitting more out of the way. Of course, she would have been showered by glass had she had been there. And that happens, and 
rage comes over me, right? In that moment, I wanted to take my son and throw him over the balcony. Is that okay to say? Is that okay for your pastor to say? I'm sorry if you thought I was perfect. Um, and uh, I was afraid I might kill him. And, and in this moment, I, I've got this decision to make. And this, is the, and, and, and this is probably the one time I got it right. Uh, oftentimes I get it wrong, but this is probably the one time I got it right. In this moment, I'm like, Okay, I'm, so, I'm too upset at the moment because we've told him, you can't kick the ball in the living room, can't kick the ball in the living room, can't kick the ball in the living room, right? That's what you tell a, ball, tell a boy 500 times a day, right? You can't kick a ball in the living room, right? And so I, I, I grab him <laughs> and I, I take him to his bedroom and I sit him on the bed and say, you stay here, I'll be back. <laughs> and I go and I... Shut that door quietly. <laughs> and I'm cleaning up glass, trying to figure that out. Jen and I are both cleaning up glass. And, and uh, it gives me time to pray, to breathe, and to say, all right, um, what is the reality here? What is the reality of the situation? He wasn't being defiant. He's being a boy. He's kicking a ball in an 800-square-foot apartment. We lived in a concrete jungle. We didn't have parks or stuff. He had to, like, you know, he, he did laps in our living room to, to get burn off energy. Like, and so here is my son just being a boy. And bigger than that was he was broken. Whether from fear of me throwing him over the balcony, <laughs> maybe in those split seconds, he's like, I got to learn how to fly. Or, um, or he, he realized he had done something wrong. He, either way, he was broken. And, um, and I, didn't have to, I, I didn't have to spank him in that situation. Now, I've had to spank him before. Don't hear me wrong. But in that situation, I didn't have to spank him. And I go in there, and he's completely distraught, completely broken. And uh, I, I very, I, in, my, in my own ideas and how I remember it very calmly said to him now son you understand why you can't kick the ball in the living room <laughs> I said okay well I love you it's okay no one is hurt everybody's okay I love you and you know like I didn't spank him or anything but it took us probably a good hour two hours to get him to settle back down to realize it was going to be okay. And so I was angry in that moment. I was thinking, I'm going to have to pay for all of this. I'm a missionary. Not a lot of money in mission work. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> um, and so I'm like, all right, well, that's what we're going to have to do. And we did. We, we, we paid for it. And so here's a moment where um, God gave me the wisdom to separate myself from the situation for just a moment to be able to think and pray, calm down. Maybe you need that. If you have a habit of spanking your kids three times before they hit the ground, you might need this. 
And if you have older children, it might be a, hey, you need to go to your room for a minute while I pray and, and think about what that discipline is going to be. You might need that. Now, the other pendulum swing of this issue is that some of you need a process to actually practice discipline. You need to hear, you are not a friend to your child. You are a parent. You're not their buddy. You are responsible for raising them, for disciplining them, and instructing them in the Lord. You've seen Charlie in the chocolate factory? You remember those spoiled kids? That's what your kid is going to be. Augustus Gloop up in this thing. You have a responsibility to parent. To not do so is to fail in that responsibility. And we, you know, we can point out all kinds of individuals who have parents who have done that, and it's not going well for them. They don't have good work ethic, they entitlement. This isn't an age bracket, this could be anybody. Don't do that to your children. Okay, so that's how you should discipline. Secondly, how should you instruct? How should you give instruction? Two ways. I think family worship and teachable moments. Family worship, by doing this, and I'm beating this drum over and over, family worship, um, it makes your home a safe place for spiritual conversations. It makes it a safe place for spiritual conversations. When you read the Bible together, when you pray together, when you sing together, you are opening up the freedom for your children to ask questions about God and the Bible. And then you take teachable moments. There's all going to be opportunities for you to bring them aside and instruct them in the Lord. You need to take advantage of those. So that's how instruction, that's what instruction looks like. And then lastly, I want to speak a word to some of you that may have, you may have rebellious children. Uh, failure, uh, uh, failure as a parent is not determined by what your children do or don't do. Your identity is in Christ, not in your child's behavior. <laughs> hear me again, because you need to hear it again. Your identity is in Jesus, not in your child's behavior. Your success as a parent is not wrapped up in the response of your child. It's in, were you faithful to do what God called you to do? Were you faithful in the responsibility that God called you to do? Did you spiritually lead your family? Did you discipline and instruct in the ways of the Lord? Not perfectly, because none of us are going to be perfect, but did you do the things that God has called you to do? And I've seen many parents, counsel many parents, I've walked through this, that just torment yourself um, over the decisions of your kids. This would be, again, a misapplication of the gospel, even over your own heart. Your identity is not in the behavior of your children. Were you faithful? Did you take your responsibility to parent and disciple your children seriously? Did you 
have the cross at the center uh, of your life. And I think failure as a family, too, is, is a great opportunity for Jesus to shine brighter. I love this quote by Paul David Tripp. He says, The cross is evidence that in the hands of the Redeemer, moments of apparent defeat become wondrous moments of grace and victory. Jesus went to the cross. Everyone thought it was a failure. What was it? A victory. You've got great opportunity in your family that it might look like a failure to turn out for victory. Do you run to Jesus with it? Run to Christ. Pray for your rebellious child. Seek the Lord to do what you can't do. You try to manipulate and control the situation, you can't do it. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. And then the last quote I want to give you is this. C.S. Lewis, I love this quote. It says, when we come to Christ, we spend the rest of our lives recruiting our families to worship Jesus. When we come to Christ, we spend the rest of our lives recruiting our families to worship Jesus. That's what you're doing as parents. Children to lost parents, that's what you're doing to your parents. Are you recruiting them to worship Jesus? Again, you can do it, we can help. We want to resource you, encourage you, pray for you. But you should be recruiting your family to worship Jesus. That's the posture that you should hold. Okay, let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for all your goodness to us. We need you. We need to be filled by the Spirit to be able to accomplish the work you've given us to do in parenting. We pray that you would empower us to walk according to your way, to discipline according to your way, and to give instruction according to your way. We can't do it in our own power. We will fail miserably. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We need you. Empower us, embolden us, move in our hearts for the sake of the gospel. I pray for the children in the room that they would obey and honor their their parents so that it might go well with them and they might have long lives, ultimately so that they'll honor you, Jesus. I pray for the parents in the room. Pray you move in power. Pray, God, that you would convict and and uh, give them the, the, the power to ask for forgiveness where needed and, and the resolve to move forward, um, discipling their family in Christ. I pray for those of us that are dealing with aging parents. I pray, God, that you would uh, give us wisdom for how to handle that situation and let us to honor our parents as the scriptures call us to honor our parents. God, we need you. This is not easy. We need you. Hardest job we've given, probably been given, probably, is parenting. And I pray, Father, that you would just be with us, give us strength, help us to die to ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. God, bless the families of this church. Bless the homes of this church. Let them be homes that put Jesus on display. In Christ's name we pray, amen.